Good to see you. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zippero, the club's vice president of media and editorial. Uh, thanks for joining us today, whether you're here in the room or you're watching or listening online. We're glad to have you. Uh, for everyone who is joining us for the first time, the Commonwealth Club is a 118-year-old nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to the civil discussion of important issues of the day. Any opinions expressed here are those of the speakers. Uh, now, the Commonwealth Club has been producing hundreds of programs a year, even during the pandemic. So go to commonwealthclub.org MMS to get all of our upcoming programs for Michelle Miao, as well as podcasts and video of her past programs. And don't forget, this Friday is her annual year-end celebration this Friday evening. So uh, it'll be a fun time. So please join us for that. If you're watching us live on YouTube, use the chat box to submit questions for our special guests today. I'll be monitoring that after I'm done here. And for everyone here in the room, stick around after the program for a reception made possible by the Leo T. McCarthy Center at the University of San Francisco. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce Derek Brown. He is the Senior Director for the Leo T. McCarthy Center at the University of San Francisco. He's a native San Franciscan who brings more than 20 years of experience leading uh, neighborhood engagement strategies and addressing complex community issues. As Senior Director at the Leo T. McCarthy Center, Derek, John, excuse me, Derek Brown is committed to continuing and enhancing the tradition of inspiring USF students to serve others and pursue successful careers in public service. So welcome Derek Brown to our stage, please. Thanks so much, John. Let's give John another hand. Thank you. First and foremost, thank you so much for coming out today. Really appreciate it, whether you're here in person or virtually checking us out online. Uh, Derek Brown, Senior Director of the Leo T. McCarthy Center. And our main focus is to prepare students for a successful life in public service. Uh, we're all about community. We're all about uplifting our students and the community partners that we work with. So today, we wanted to connect with some amazing community leaders that's doing extraordinary work throughout COVID, whether it's surviving or are just absolutely taking things to the next level and absolutely crushing it amidst this COVID-19 uh, pandemic that we're in right now. That being said, without further ado, I would love to introduce our all-star panelists. First up, we're going with uh, Rudy Corpus from United Players. Rudy. I feel like I'm graduating. <laughs> well, I Thanks, see that player right there. Yes, sir. Next up, we have Susana Rojas with Kaya Vente Cuatro. Susana. <laughs> Susana, are you doing? Have a seat. Okay. Next up, let's go with uh, James Pingola from Collective Impact. All right. All right. Thanks, sir. Okay. All right. Next up, we have Jackie Flynn with A. Philip Randolph Institute. Thank you, Jackie. And our moderator for the day is Michelle Meow with me, Michelle Meow Show. Here we go. <laughs> Thanks right, so much, DD. Michelle. You guys enjoy. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. And another round of applause for our esteemed panel today sharing this afternoon with us. 
So why don't we start with, I mean, so many community members, the city, uh, you're all beloved leaders of this city. So people know you, they know of your work, but I think a good place to start is to get to know you a little bit more personally. So why don't, why don't you share a, uh, you know, a, a, a Bay story, like your Bay story, your San Francisco Bay story, followed by just sharing a little bit about the organization uh, and the work that you do. So we'll start with Jackie. Well, um, I'm definitely a Bay kid. I was born at the Presidio when there was a hospital there. It's now um, Letterman Studios. But uh, growing up in the Bay Area over the last 40 years, I've really seen so many changes happen. And one story I can remember that really brings me back to home base is so funny because when I was growing up, I I wanted to run the furthest away from politics and the furthest away from community (laughs) services as I could. I got my degree in biological sciences, but um, I remembered a moment in time that my dad brought me out to um, the Hunter's Point shipyard, and we looked out, and he told me that, you know, this land out here is is the promised land for for our folks. And I never realized how much that impacted me as I grew up, Um, but when I came back and had an opportunity to come to the A. Philip Randolph Institute, one of my first assignments was right up there (laughs) on Hunter's Point Road, Mm -hmm. And it just resonated with me that um, as much as I I think I need to be somewhere else, this is my home base and where I want to be. Um, and I'm so happy to be back and, and you know, really work with my community um, and see it continue to grow. That's awesome. That's such a great story. James. Oh, wow. <laughs> hey, so when... Uh, a story, right? So I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking, too, when you say James. My name is James Spingola. I'm executive director at Collective Impact, Ellie Hill Hutch Community Center. Um, if you come through there, I always tell everybody this is um, kind of who I am. You come through there and you ask for James, people kind of look at you strange. Like, who is that? Well, who are you talking about? So, But if you come through there, you ask for Uncle Stank. Everybody in the city know who he is. Like everybody can tell you, point down the street at L.A. You know, say he's down there at the center. He goes, go down there. He's down at the center. But um, when we talk about a story and telling a story, like um, I have so many stories. I'm born and raised in the Western Edition. Um, went to Golden Gate. When I say truly born and raised, I went. I was born at Mount Zion Hospital. I, Went to Golden Gate Elementary School, that's now Creative Arts. Um, I went to Benjamin Franklin Junior High School, that's now Gateway and Kip, right? And Ellie Hill Hutch Center, where I'm at now, it used to be um, on that corner with Smacks. It was where we used to go when I was a kid and buy $1 hamburgers, mm-hmm. right? So everybody used to kind of, every time after school, we would shoot down to that where that big old vacant, L.A. Hill is. It was a big old vacant lot, but it was one little hamburger space that was there, and it was smacks. And then we used to all kind of just go down there and um, buy that dollar hamburger. And with the hamburger, you got french fries for a dollar. So it, it, it was it was wow, and then now you know I sit there and I look at that space now, and I just never thought in my dreams that I would be doing this work. So uh, that's just a little bit of the story, and how long I've been in this city and that community. 
How much is a hamburger today? Oh, Lord. <laughs> not a dollar. Yeah. Yeah, not a dollar. Exactly. Not a dollar. Not so, a son? Dollar. Um, so, I am an immigrant from Colombia. I was born and raised in Colombia until I was 14 years old. Um, at that point, my family and I immigrated to New York City. And then when my daughter was two months old, we moved here to San Francisco. And when I... We moved to Bernal Heights, and then obviously the mission is really close to Bernal Heights. And when I walked through the mission, I immediately fell in love with the community. And I fell in love with the smells, the sights, the colors, the music, the sounds, everything. And ever since then, I've been in the mission community serving it. I, um, I love what I do. I love my community, and I am... Um, extremely happy that I was able to move to San Francisco because I found home here. Yeah, yeah, it's home for so many of us, especially, you know, the, the uh, a sanctuary, a safe space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And finally, last but not least, Rudy. Yeah. So um, what's happening, everybody? I just want to say, first of all, I'm honored to be on the stage with my three family members right here. Uh, I'm also was born in Letterman. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Letterman is proceed. How many of y'all by hands real quick is from San Francisco originally? So thank you. So we call San Francisco Frisco. Well, that's right. I didn't know. <laughs> I'm born and raised in this actual neighborhood right here. District 6, South the Market. I'm a downtown boy for real. <laughs> right? I run a violence prevention organization called UP, United Players, that originated from gang violence from the community and the kids. And so this neighborhood, to tell a story, I used to destroy this neighborhood. Hmm. When people would see me come down the street, they would go the other way or they would only respect me because they feared me. But now, my story is this. I own land and property in this neighborhood where we serve and keep the community safe. So from somebody who was on one side of the gun is on the other side of the gun now, I'm here to make sure that we deserve and we keep it safe for our community. Because y'all know anywhere down here in District 6 in the Tenderloin, ain't nothing tender about the loin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, quick story. We used to go fish, fishing right across over here as young kids. And uh, one of my friends threw over the fishing pole. He's fishing, but he fell in the water. Oh, no. And he was like, help. I said, shit, I can't swim. <laughs> <laughs> so we threw him a little life, life raft and saved him, and we didn't catch no fish. <laughs> And so anyway, that's my story <laughs> from this neighborhood. I'm Filipino. Y'all know we got 120 years of history in this neighborhood of Filipinos. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you've been saving the hood for, for all your life. And uh, let's get into that. Let's talk about saving our people, saving our communities, especially during a pandemic. We know that it has been challenging for all of us. But let's talk about how the pandemic has affected your work, has affected your communities, the communities that you serve, and the organizations that you work for. We'll start with Jackie. Well, definitely these last couple of years have been extremely challenging for folks that are in neighborhoods that had Mm -hmm. issues before COVID had even impacted um, our communities. I think first and foremost, health and safety were extremely fragile in our communities. We wanted to make sure that our folks had access to testing and when vaccines rolled out, vaccinations. Um, But it's so important to educate our communities about it because there were so many fears and misconceptions and concerns about it. 
um, that it really, it really uh, pulled people back from being out and about, being social. I mean, we were all being told to, to distance ourselves. So one of the things we really found to be resilient in the community was first make sure that there was connectivity and access to what we already had was a digital divide to, uh, you know, Wi-Fi and connectivity. Um, and we were partnering with the city. The city, you know, uh, came out to say, we're here for you. Everybody knows who actually does the work in the communities. And um, we were fortunate to partner with our Rec and Park Department. We've got an awesome space uh, in Bayview Hunters Point called the India Basin Waterfront Park. And we were able to establish a small tech hub so that families were able to come down, access computer devices, high-speed Wi-Fi internet, all in a park where we were able to um, still provide some connectivity and access. And that became one of the uh, roots of being able to educate folks and refer them to other services. Um, and, you know, just try and stay resilient. So we, we have found it was, you know, in a way, this blessing in disguise that allowed us to not only address some of the issues that we already had, but really grow from there. James. Okay. <laughs> hey, so no, I was just sitting here thinking as Jackie was talking, right? So first of all, the pandemic, you know, um, I just always like to give credit where credit is due, and I just like to give credit to Mayor Breed, right, for making that yes. call mm -hmm. so early in the process of the pandemic, right? Because it takes a lot to tell a city you shut down. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot. It takes a lot of heart when, you know, we do this work. But, you know, I was just telling Michelle the story earlier. Right before the pandemic hit, I, um, I had partnered with this medical center, Maxine Hall Clinic, right? And um, they were trying to find a location. And, you know, folks didn't want them in their neighborhood because they did uh, methadone. People thought methadone was bringing uh, different clientele to their neighborhoods. But for me, I knew, because I grew and born and raised in that district, I knew how long Maxine Hall had been around, and I knew the good they did in the community. And in that process, right, I was just thinking, you know what, um, I, give, I always say, you know, I always like to give credit where credit do it. There was a doctor there, Dr. Catherine James that, you know, came by Ellie Hill, and it just so happened I was standing outside, and she was looking at my parking lot, and she was just saying, James, I need a location. We're finna remodel our space, right? Mm -hmm. I said, um, you know what, Dr. James? I got something for you. So I got tennis courts in the back of my building. So it's a tennis court, and it's like a little mini park. So we went back there and kind of looked that over, and this is a few months before the pandemic. We looked that over, and it was like, you know, we just, perfect spot for you. What you think? We came down, had some people look at it, and, you know, we can drop some trailers in here and do that. Long story short, right, they dropped a couple double wides back there. You know, we up and running. She got her, you know, clients, few clients that, you know, that was using Maxine Hall at the time. And then the pandemic hit. Wow. It's a blessing, right? It's a silver lining and everything. Mm -hmm. So in the process of that, I got 3,000 seniors 
that surround LEO Hutz Community Centers. We got Rosa Parks, we got Queen Aders, and a few more senior homes around there. And we got, you know, it's like, wow. And I knew myself that LA Hill was not closing. My doors never closed because I knew in that process my community was finna get left behind. I knew it. I just, I, I was like, this is ain't finna happen for us, right? No, I, everything I do, I mean, I got on the phone, I was calling people, we were trying to buy PPE products, we were doing everything. Dr. James, me and her, started having conversations, she was like, what are we going to do about the seniors across the street? We made carts so they can go over, because the seniors didn't want to come out, so they were going over doing testing over and pushing carts, her and the nurses was going over and pushing the carts over to do testing. And we were, we were, you know, World Central Kitchen came in. We were working with Jack, and we were working with Rudy. We were working with everybody here. We were all working with World Central Kitchen. Mm. Started at the time, and then I, again, shot the shout-out to Cheryl Davis from the Human Rights Commission, who started, and Brittany Shikata, who actually reached out to World Central Kitchen on how we going to get food up in here, right? So, um we started out with just doing hot meals, and I have this funny story that I always tell everybody. Like, so I had somebody actually reach out to one of my coworkers, Brittany Ford, and tell, tell her, like, you know, we got some pallets, but then I don't know if I can say this. Is it okay to say brassiers? So it was like it was pallets of brassiers, you know, and like, hey, James, we got pallets of brassiers down here. You want them? And we were like, you know. Brittany, like, what are we going to do? I was like, oh, we're going to go rent a truck, and we're going to go get them, you know. So we, you know, like I said, we, you know, you come to my gym today, right? My gym is just like we made sure everybody got books. We were giving out books. We were giving out hot meals. We were giving out brassiers, you know. We were giving out clothes, you know, anything that That's anybody right. called me. Nobody, when you call collective impact and you call Elio Hush and you talk to somebody in there, we're not going to ask you how we're going to get it, right? Mm-hmm. We're going we're gonna to ask you, like, when can we get it? Mm-hmm. You know, that's our, that's what we do. We ask when can you get it and how we get it up to our community. And that was our way of bridging because I knew my community wasn't finna go down to City Hall or go down by any other, anywhere past where they're supposed right. to be, because everybody was already, you know, yeah. scared of going out. So um, we just made sure that we became not just a medical facility, but an emergency operations center all together. So we just did, we, I mean, it wasn't nothing you can come to Ellie Hill and ask for that we didn't have for That's you. That's so incredible. Yeah. That's so yeah. great. Wow. Um, Sasana. Yeah, so um, in the mission community, we noticed right away that there was disparity and there were inequalities that were affecting how our community was being affected by the pandemic. And of course, the whole city was affected by the pandemic, but the Latino community at that point was the one that was being that was getting sick the most and was ending up in the hospital the most. So immediately we knew we had to learn about public health really quickly and and enact anything and everything that we can do. Something that we in the mission community take pride on is that we run to the fire. We may not know what we find there, but we're going to run to the fire and we're going to respond and we're going to create the resources and the, <clears throat> and the systems and programs that are needed in order to respond to our community. So out of that um, 
30 plus organizations came together and we formed the Latino um, Task Force. We started with Food Hub that now serves uh, over 7,000 families a, a week with food. We have testing and vaccination on 24th and Cap. We also have it at uh, 701 Alabama, 20 Norton, and sometimes we have pop-ups all over the city. We also have, like I said, the Food Hub at 701 Alabama and the Resource Hub at 701 Alabama, but we also now have a hub at um, Excelsior, which is called La Casa. We have one at uh, Baby Hunters Point, and another one that just opened with our support in um, for the Pacific Islander, Islander community. And for us, what was important is to understand that inequities may be there, but this this city is rich, and it's not only rich in re- <clears throat> economic resources, but in human resources. And because we are so rich in human resources, is that we have been able to guide and really lead the way in our our country when it comes to responding to a pandemic and responding in a, in, to a pandemic in an equitable way, mm-hmm. being able to bring the services to our communities in the way that makes sense for our communities. That's right. If we can, we can, and I think that now with what <clears throat> we have learned, we can go back to the way that things were. We have learned how to community and city resources when they're given to community agencies that understand the community, understand what the culture and how to provide the services and pair it with the scientific community, we can bring equity. Mm-hmm. And we can and we can make those dollars last and go further than when we work separately. So I think that that one is one of the biggest learnings. And yeah. two, I think that we all should be very proud to be in San Francisco and understand that this city was kept going by the communities of color that could never shelter in place when the shelter in place came in into effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a sign for mayor. At some point in the future, Rudy. So so. That's why when I first started off, I wanted to acknowledge and thank these folks on the stage because I know they straight ten toes to the floor, boots to the ground. Anytime you need anything done or you need something to happen, you can call on these folks right here. They ain't going to ask for nothing. They just going to do it. And so during this crisis, I've always been in crisis Hmm. before the crisis happened, especially where I live on 6th Street. So it's always something going on. But this also just made sure it taught me who was really serious about this work. Because when it came down to it, all the people basically, all they want is the basic, fundamental, necessary things they want. Water, food, and safety. Mm-hmm. But this what had, that's what the pandemic brought for our neighborhood. So I put a call out there to all the CBOs in my neighborhood, in particular the Filipino neighborhood, who a lot of us don't get along, but see who was serious about working together to make sure we take care of the seniors, the kids, the women, and everybody in between. Mm-hmm. And I told everybody, put up their white flag. Because this is the opportunity for us to show if you really about what you're doing. And we came together, and we was able to provide them with all the basic essentials. People just needed toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Mm. And since we didn't have, you know where we went? We went to these hotels. Because the hotels were shut down, but they had a gang of toilet paper. <laughs> so we would use the toilet paper, and we would pass it out. And then we did caravanning with James and them. Mm-hmm. we go to every hood that people would not attend to go to because they scared. we go up in there and provide them with all the resources that they needed. And then the seniors, 
right? A lot of the Filipino ones, they couldn't speak English good. So we got people who was able to come to them and speak to them in a language where they can understand, and then we would get them mental health services even on the phone because they just needed to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. So all we did is do what we usually do in crisis. What I do, I've been doing this when I first started this. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say, you know, to the people on the stage, you know, these are real live superheroes who are willing to put their life on the line in front of somebody else. That's the most probably beneficial thing you could do. It's to sacrifice your life before your life. And that's what they've been doing. Where Derek Brown at? He does that too. <laughs> I'm not surprised when y'all put this together. Who is going to be on the stage? Right. You know what I mean? And so this pandemic, man, really woke up the real. Mm-hmm. But guess what? They having all kind of crisis all over this nation. And guess what San Francisco's due for? Earthquake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that's going to turn off in your house is the water, the gas, and the heat. You better know who your neighbor is. Mm-hmm. That's why my motto, it takes the hood to say the hood. And as much as I love our mayor, that's my sister. When the thing goes down... She ain't going to be right here outside with you. Mm-hmm. The governor ain't going to be here with you. You know who you're going to see? The people right outside your door. And most of them are homeless people. Mm-hmm. So you better know who they is mm-hmm. and build a relationship. Because if you don't, that's another problem you're going to have to deal with. It takes the hood to save the hood. All it means is it takes us to save us. It's that simple. There's been crisis going on all over this world from the beginning of time. You just gonna adapt. I'm a hustler. I know how to survive. Throw me in the jungle. <laughs> Watch y'all come out, man, winning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move right next to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. 1038 Howard Street. That's where I'm at. The Players Club. <laughs> I mean, all jokes aside, uh, you know, it. it it's obvious the pandemic is still here. It's not like it's gone. Some some of us talk about it as if. We're recovering where we've recovered. Um, but let's focus in and share with folks, you know, you, the community, mobilized in crisis, saved a lot of lives, right? And now we have something, to Sasana's point, something that is growing, that is working. We have a recipe for success. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we sustain that as we move into another year of the pandemic? And maybe, you know, who knows what the future beholds? But what what are your thoughts on you know sharing um, your ideas for keeping this going, keeping this momentum going? We'll start with Jackie. Um, it's been uh, an interesting ride, right? Uh, we're all talking about how difficult it was, um, but we're also saying at some point it was a blessing in disguise because it brought people together in ways that we weren't working together before. That's right. Um, And so what I think is important is to not oversee all the work that we do day to day, whether there's a crisis that's in front of everyone's face or things that we have to manage all year long. Um, And I think what's super important about everything that we have done is bringing families together, bringing community leaders together. It helps us develop a plan. And I think Susanna's point about, you know, making sure these resources are distributed equitably needs to also come from the voices of the folks that they're coming to. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what was great about what we were able to do, um, bringing community 
together and still continuing to organize and figure out ways how to keep us connected, our community told us what they needed. And they already knew that we were mobilized to do these things. Um, and so as we move forward with some of these ideas, some of these plans, now we know how to well support folks that are asking for resources that are also thinking, it's not just for me, but it's for the person that can't speak or that can't communicate or that can't reach out for some of these resources. Um, and it's just been a wonderful, uh, I think, outlook for our future community, um, you know, giving credit where credit's due as well. Our supervisor was mobilizing, and, and you're right. They're not going to be outside that front door when the crisis actually hits. But what we're hoping <clears throat> is that we establish some of these systems, mm -hmm. establish the support prior to uh, another round of this hitting our community so that we are already ready. We're already there responding, and we can just continue to grow from there. I would love to see my community continue to thrive. And, you know, we haven't gone away from some of the stuff that we've already seen in terms of folks needing jobs, uh, young people needing outlets and opportunities. Uh, we want to continue to make sure that those are available. And I'm hoping that I can pass the torch to the next leader, <laughs> to the next person coming up behind us, because we're not going to be able to do this forever. Um, so I'm just, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to that future. And I really believe that in San Francisco, we can do that. James, thoughts on sustaining all of the, this movement right now, being prepared maybe for future crises? Uh, yeah, and I was just, you know, and Rudy is so, so, so right about, you know, when he talk about who's going to be doing the work, right, and who is, and the truth is, who's going to be the leaders in this, because, you know, for me, you know, it was about, it's about structure, right, it's about making sure, you, and I have been saying that, you know, we can put a whole bunch of people on the bus, right, but how do we get everybody in the right seats, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because right. what we've learned is that, you know, the work that we do, right, is not for everybody. This is not easy work. Mm -hmm. No, and I just want, you know, we, we have the truth up in here, and we're just going to talk about, you know. But that's okay, because on this bus, it's somewhere for you to be, right? It's a seat for you. It's, some, it's something for you to do in this work, right? So it's the structure that we have to have in play. We have to have to know who's going to be your warriors out here, who's going to be your soldiers, and who's going to help you lead, right? Because mm -hmm. it's just not, I, I just came, and me and Jackie was talking earlier, I'm just not okay with just passing my torch just to anyone. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right? Because we work too hard to get to where we at. We work too hard to build our communities up, right? We do too much work to say, okay, here, and to give it to someone who have, don't have a clue on how your community functions, on how we function as a people, right? And like you said, every, every different ethnicity has, is, has its own way. Every community has its own way on how they function. That's and you right. have to know how to navigate that. So at the end of the day, for us, it's just about making sure we have the right people in place mm -hmm. when it comes to making sure we, if we're going to sustain, right? Because it's hard, you know, and everybody at, on this panel, I tell you, it's, this is not one of them joy rides. <laughs> you don't get on this thing and think it's, it's okay. <laughs> I tell everybody every day, 
you know, is we, we in a battle and we traumatized, mm -hmm. right? And we don't never want to admit it. And we all sit here and say, we all have some trauma. And I'm just talking mental health is big, well, we, especially in the black communities. Mm -hmm. We are traumatized and we need some help, right? At the end of the day, we need some people to come in there that we can talk to. I tell everybody, if we get a healing center up in here where I'm at, because that's, that's my goal is to work on a healing center, I'm going to be the first one in line, <laughs> right? Because I know what we go through. And we all have to just make sure that, you know, as we move out the way and we keep looking back, and I know Rudy, I know Jack, I know Sue, I know all you guys have to look back and ask yourself, who's in line for your job, mm -hmm. right? And make sure that you're the one that's making sure that, you know, whoever's in line, that you're doing your best to kind of guide them and give them the, what they need and the tools they need to kind of move forward. Because this, like I said, this community work is not easy. It's mm -hmm. not. It, 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 it's, a, it's Every day you wake up and you never know what your day going to be. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. I mean, we talk about everybody can tell you a story that just happened last night. And then one that happened this morning that people don't even believe what we go through. Yeah. I have a clue. And it ain't nothing you can just make up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just about the structure we put in place. And I pray that the generation and everybody who's listening, it's the generation that's coming after us. And everybody, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day. It's, you know, we, we sometimes God misses the generation and then... The generation that comes behind that is the one that picks it up and really, really take it off with it. And I think our babies mm -hmm. is going to be the ones that be oh. that take that stuff and just fly because we already building. That's right. You know, we built it. We put the foundation down. Mm -hmm. We just need somebody to pick it up and run with it. Mm -hmm. We just need a, we just need the the house to go up real quick. Thank you, James. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so um, I think that. During this pandemic, we have, we have had a lot of learning lessons, and I think that we need to now continue to build upon them, upon those learning lessons, and continue to grow them. Um, I think that one of the things is that we need to um, have more communities of colors represented in the city, yeah. um, in city positions that can really truly influence the way that the resources are distributed, distributed in an equitable way. And that when plans are being created, the plans are not coming from this, like, ex-scholastic idea of, like, this is how you make a plan to help a community. But from people that were like, well, you know what? When I was in the pandemic, this mm -hmm. is how mm -hmm. I got food, and these were the organizations that yeah, did it, and this so is cool. how they did it. So if we follow that, mm -hmm. we're going to be cool. Mm -hmm. But if we, we only have, because one of the things the people that are trying to get into the city and jobs in the city is they're intimidated by the application, by how many degrees you need to have. And so oftentimes really good resumes go unchecked because they don't have the degrees that they need to have. And in reality, you're passing on um, San Francisco raised people who have the investment, who have the love and who have the know-how that can truly make a difference. So I think that that's one of the ways to sustain the work that we're doing and the learning that we're having right now is by hiring local into the city so that we can really truly make a difference. When it comes to our babies, Generation C is a beast. Mm -hmm. Like they take uh, 
at cost and they drive it home. But any time that you have a busy needs guidance. So it's having this mentorship program so that they can come and they can do that fighting. Because maybe we are the ones that now move into the city and they take our positions and we're working in tandem. They have the energy that we are starting to lose. <laughs> we work long hours. We've been in this for a long time. So now our babies can have that energy and we can feed them the knowledge. Right. So, you know, so we're just, we're just have to continue to work together, place their resources in an equitable way in the hands of the people that know how to distribute it better or well. Um, and then also just for, I feel like, for us to continue to work together. And remember that one community cannot thrive without the other. If one of us is suffering and one of us, of us is being oppressed, all of us are being oppressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, thank you, sir. Man, uh, if anything, I've been doing this for like a minute now, for like 27 years, and I'm still learning. What mm-hmm. I learned of surviving out here in these streets, it ain't what you know. It's who you know and who Amen. knows you. Better yet, who even like you? I'm a likable <laughs> guy. You got to get to know me. You know? Uh, and sustaining, right? Yep. San Francisco is the best city on this planet. I've been all over the world. And we one of the richest cities. In this neighborhood where I'm at in District 6, we got development, we got tech, we got, you know, nonprofits. We have to learn how to build this relationship and know how to sustain that. Mm-hmm. I'm in the building bridges, not walls, mm-hmm. right? In San Francisco, with all this bipping going on, people breaking into people's cars, all these robberies going on, right? We got solutions and answers for that. But you got to have the right people at the table to make sure that some of this stuff won't happen. I guarantee you had James... Jackie and Susanna in front of Louis Vuitton. People ain't going to break into them stores because they know what they do for the people. And so you just got to keep things simple and keep it smart. Mm -hmm. I always talk about KIS, kiss me, keep it simple. Mm -hmm. That's how you sustain. Mm -hmm. I'm going to call on John Zipperer to to get ready. Uh, We'll take questions from the audience for our panel. So if you have some questions... Get ready to, to ask them. I think questions. there's a mic that'll go around. <laughs> is that a um, questions? Is John here, or is is he coming? Come, oh yeah, he's got to come from uh, um, upstairs because he's also managing our our YouTube or virtual audience. So if you've got questions, let John know. Um, one thing you know that I love is the resilience of our communities that you've all shared right. some examples about, but share some recent ones. And I know Rudy, you wanted to go kind of last, but uh, I'm going to pick on you only because it's just a few days ago that the uh, the annual buyback, the gun buyback program happened, and um, I can't tell you like just the, how incredible it is that the program <clears throat> has been able to to do what it did. I want you to tell the story. Sure. You know, tell us, tell us about the buyback program that just happened. Sure. So uh, before I even go there, on 9th and Howard, I was shot. I'm a survivor of gun violence twice. I've been shot on 6th Street and on 9th Street. And so one of my passions is to end senseless gun violence. I'm not against the Second Amendment, but I am against senseless gun violence. You see kids getting killed, people who just minding their business, trying to work, getting shot in the crossfire. And so annually what we've been doing for the last 10 years is gun buybacks. It's no questions asked, and everybody who does it 
is all the way from the community to the SFPD to the city folks and just ex-felons who have been in prison for murder has came back and mothers who lost their kids to violence. We all come together as a community and we are able to get thousands of guns off the streets and we destroy them and we turn them into art. And so this last Saturday that just passed, we was able to get 268 guns off the street. 268 guns and 15 of them were assault rifles. Mm. I'm talking about somebody walk in here right now and he squeezed that one trigger, he'll knock down everybody in here. We was able to get rid of all them and they will be destroyed. Uh, so this is one little speck in the field of how we end violence. And that's the part that me and my team is playing. But the other part of it, too, is educating the young kids, as young as elementary, and talking to them and educating them about the truth, how to survive in a world that's full of hate. That's what we're doing. It's so incredible. It's so incredible. Anyone God's else want to share uh, maybe a, another a success story or a story of resilience, especially something that maybe most recent you're or super proud of? Uh, One of the things I'm extremely proud of as we talk about wanting more representation, communities that look like us in city leadership, in high management positions, you know, we want to move the needle in making sure that these pathways are available. And, um, you know, like my colleagues here, we've been doing this for decades. And over years, I've been able to really see growth in a lot of these young people, Um, that's what makes me feel, I think, optimistic about our future here in San Francisco. Um, But, you know, at least 10 years have been spent just working on leadership development in in our youth population. And I'm starting to see some of that come back. And I have young people reaching out to me for letters of recommendation for grad school. And I'm starting to see these young people in places around like tech, for example, where we don't have a whole lot of representation of people of color, of women. And I'm starting to see that needle move. And that really inspires me to continue to do the work that we do. And I'm just so fortunate to meet some of these young people that they literally came out of the gutter, right? And they literally came out of places that people gave up on them years before they were even able to show what potential they have. Um, So it's just very humbling to see. And, you know, it inspires me to keep pushing forward, keep reaching out where we can. Um, And although we may not be able to save them all, just like we're not able to get every gun off the street, even just that one kid you save or that one gun you take off the street that prevents that next thing from happening is what is so important about the work that we do. And nobody's up here for awards and recognition Mm -hmm. for what we do. We're here because we love and are passionate about our communities. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. We got John back down here, and so um, let's take some questions from the audience. Hey, can I add to that before we take yeah. the question, too? And I'm sitting here, and I'm looking at Nico Bernard. He's my team. He works my, he's my team manager at, at uh, um, L.A. Hill, and I'm looking at Derek Brown, and I, I'm listening to what Jackie said, and I'm and I'm thinking about Shaman Walton, and I'm thinking about the mayor, and I'm just thinking about these are people that I have known that have grew up right. in San Francisco, right? And like Jackie was saying, you look in 
at who in leadership now and where they come from, and you say it's all possible, right? Um, I had a young person call me just yesterday, and he called me, he said, Uncle Stank, he said, I just wanted to call and check in. I said, what you checking in for? He said, I'm in uh, Florida. I said, what you doing in Florida? He said, oh, man, me and my wife just started a car business. I said, a wife? <laughs> uh. I said, you got a wife? He said, yeah, we started a car business. We buy cars. We deliver them, you know, to people's houses. We got our own little business down there. And, you know, I just like, you know, them are, that's why we do this work, right? Mm-hmm. It's because, you know, you look back, and I ask myself all the time, do I, am I violent prevention or do I do that? I'm not, I don't call myself violent prevention, but do I prevent violence sometimes? I do. 100%. I do. I do. I got a revolving chair in my office that people just get up and down, up and down, up and down. But at the end of the day, I just be like, if you don't, you know, we all here, this work, you have to have some passion. Mm-hmm. You have to have some love for your community. You have to do that. Me and Rudy been, you know, we come from some dark spaces. <laughs> no, dark spaces. Yeah. People don't believe. And I tell everybody, I didn't choose this work. This work chose me. I didn't choose it, you know. And where I come from, it's just not, you know, in the things that I have seen and been through. People would not believe it. Same, you know, same thing with Rudy. We just come from a dark space, and look what we do today. Come on now. You know, and I just say that, you know, even with Mr. Brown over there and, like I said, Shaman Walton and them, and, you know, I watch, you know, I'm a little older than that. But, you know, I watched all them grow to and get into them spaces. So it's everything is possible for the people that's listening. Everything is possible. You have a question for our panel? Facts. Hi, my name is Ashley Chang. Uh, I'm the executive director of Charity Cultural Services Center. I work with a number of you who are on the stage, and I'm so proud to be here to hearing all that you've done for all the all your communities. Um, Thank you again for, for Derek, who organized this and, and invite this diverse panel here. Um, my question here today is about the, the, the leadership positions that you guys have alluded to earlier, uh, about how to get a seat on the table. How do we, um, how do we continue to encourage our youth uh, and our next generation to be getting that seat on the table for our city uh, positions where decisions are made? Uh, what are some of the advocacy um, uh, organized... Are there any um, efforts that are being organized to, to like to advocate for more? Because I was aside from the work that we all do every day, right, to to help our community, there must be some some type of effort that we need to work together on to advocate for for having a more equitable seat at the table for these city, city positions when these decisions come down, when the uh, resources are being allocated. What do we do, right? How mm-hmm. how how can we work together on this? Uh, can I can I put it, put something in? I'm gonna put something in real quick. Um, you know, if you and I know you heard this, um, the mayor has uh, the program opportunities for all, right? And if you look at some of the positions, them young people get they get to get the intern, they get to intern into supervisor's office, they get to intern in the mayor's office, they get to intern with the the police department, they get to intern in all of these departments. So doing Opportunities for All gives every young person an opportunity to go in and see what it looks like, what it feels like, what 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 it may, you know, where you can go 
in, you know, in politics and city jobs and all that. It's just a great opportunity, and it's been, it's been super helpful because I see a lot of young people, and if you go into some of these departments now, you have a lot of young people of all yep. races that's up in there now that's mm-hmm. at the table because she has opened up these positions and gave everybody an opportunity to kind of come in and that's what, you know, that's, it's big. So it was 3,000. We're talking about 30. How many cities you know that actually hired almost 3,800 young people mm-hmm. over the summertime? And paid you know, internships. And paid, paid. internships. Yes. These are paid internships. So that's, that's real big on what they do there. So I think that is, you know, a, 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 you know one of the roads, that one of the paths, and one of the processes that we're doing to make sure that young people go into these positions. Can I I add to that? I think also it's really keeping our eagle eye on what's going on in the commissions, what's going on in all of those different positions that really have that voting power in order to make decisions over the budget. And when those positions are available, it's phone calling, it's advocating, it's writing letters, it's making sure that our communities are represented in those positions of power. Like, for instance, we were just able to get one one Latino in the Mm. police commission. Mm And for one Latino, it was over 100 people mm. working to get that person in there. But that's what needs to happen. And how, how I was saying before, all of us need to co- be calling each other and saying, hey, I have this candidate for this position. Back me up. Let's all go together. Because if we do, like I said before, if one of us is oppressed, all of us are, are oppressed. And our commissions, every, our boards, they need to be as diverse as our city. And the only way that we do that is by advocating and joining hands and, and working together. And I'll just add, first of all, let me say hi to my friend Ashley over there. <laughs> you know, she is just like all of us here actually has a seat at this uh, panel because of the work that you are doing at Charity Cultural Services Center. Um, but I will add that it's all about meeting folks where they are. Uh, Rudy will tell you, we've gone into high schools for years to meet kids directly where they are. And I've had so many young people come to me and say, you know, I wish I had met you a year ago before I got into the stuff that I got into, because they realize how hard it is to untie some of that. Um, But it's very inspiring to meet a lot of young people with so much potential. Um, We do have leadership programs in the community. Uh, Ours is the Resilient Youth Leadership Academy, where um, the goal is really to expose them to how policy works. Mm -hmm. And although not every one of them wants to be a politician, like I said when I started, I wanted to run the furthest away from politics and (laughs) politicians. uh, But there's all kind of other opportunities to influence policy. And being on the beat of what's going on is so important because that energy gets so, you know, it gets huge, especially when you are fighting for your basic needs, fighting for your community. Um, And sometimes just watching the the light bulb turn on with some of these young people is truly inspiring because uh, they start to get it. They start to understand how resources get allocated, not just in their city, but statewide, Mm -hmm. how these resources will impact how we do things, including make our streets safer, make resources 
available, make sure that the health of our communities continues to improve. And I just think that, uh, you know, honestly, as we continue to collaborate and look at how we find our folks where they are and create these pathways to these leadership and executive positions, you know, we got the potential to really build something out here in San Francisco that can be a model for other cities nationwide. That's real talk. Mm-hmm. We have time for a, a question, another question or two. P.J. Bastiani, uh, Vice President of the Gamma Chi Lambda Chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, seated here in San Francisco. Uh, my question is for Rudy. You mentioned the uh, the bipping, the auto break-ins, and uh, the Louis Vuitton uh, robbery has made national news. Uh, what strategies, as a as, as someone as a fellow resident of District Six? Um, what strategies do you recommend or do you see us coming together around, you know, making sure that we keep our, our community safe so that, you know, we make sure our businesses are safe and that, you know, folks aren't going to have to worry about walking down Larkin Street and seeing somebody's head getting cracked open with the bat or, or you know, feeling like, you know, you can't walk your kids down and without seeing somebody's car getting broken into or some of the needles and anything like mm-hmm. but really more so with the bipping and, and, and the burglary, how, how can we as a community come together to make sure we keep everybody safe? So first of all, thanks for asking that question. I'm sure this whole city is frustrated behind what's going on. And, and there's a lot of concerns that's going on and people are trying to find solutions and answers to it. And so I'm so glad that we have somebody in place like Mayor London Breed, who's from the hood, who understands this, that wants to take proactive approaches towards this. And so what I learned to do is to get activated with my immediate community. We met last night. I don't know if you heard of Urban Alchemy. Mm-hmm. Urban Alchemy, we met SFPD, our district supervisor, Matt Haney, and residents who have the same concerns that I got and you got, and we're finding ways to make this happen. Because if you know right now, right, in the TL, a lot of it got pushed out, but it's being pushed now towards the south of market. So that's not a, a solution just to push people out. And I think what Brother James is saying is that we have to have other approaches too where we have to get mental health services right, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We have to find out, we got to find out how we can make sure we support and, and, and help the police out in these situations. And these cats who are doing the robbing and the breaking in are held accountable for the actions they're doing. Because if they're out there robbing and they're doing all the stuff they're doing and they get a, a, a slap on their hand, right, you know, there's no consequences. Mm-hmm. And then you got all these dudes who are immigrating from other countries, who are drug dealers that are out there as young as 13 to 16 years old. Mm. And they know the game. When they get busted, guess what? They don't even send them to juvenile hall no more because there ain't no juvenile hall. They send them to Huckleberry and they get right out. And so there's so many different challenges we're trying to figure out, man. And so I would love for you to be at the table with us because we're still trying to find solutions behind this. Can Can I add something? Yeah, yeah, please. And I think um, really in order to be able to um, 
to address situations like this, we have to really look at it in three stages. The short term, the things that need to happen right away in order to keep our community safe. Then we have the middle, the middle range where it's, okay, we're starting to create systemic change so that these things don't repeat itself. And then the long term, when we're having the resources and the mental health and the substance abuse and all of it working together so that we're not only having a revolving door of people going in and out of jail or in and out of treatment, but really having a, a process and a system that helps people recover and, and lead productive lives. Because I can guarantee you when you sit down and you talk to people who are addicted, they're so discouraged because that addiction is taking everything from them. And they have no, they don't see any way out on how to get their lives back. And so we have, like, we have to look at the whole thing, not only the short term, the short term are temporary solutions, but we really need to start working on the middle and the long term. Yeah. And let me just say this, though, to you, right? There's separate issues that's going on. You got the drug dealing that's going on, and that's been happening since the beginning of time. But now you have this population of people who are mentally ill who don't care about your business. They don't care about the resident. They don't care about the sidewalk or nothing. How do we fix that issue? Mm. And that's what we're getting stuck at mm. because you got large amounts of homeless campments. They got more rights than I got rights. Mm. You know what I mean? I want to provide services and help them out. But when you get into a point now when you just using the bathroom on the floor, you're leaving your needles, and you're making the neighborhood unsafe for the women and the kids and the seniors. I got a problem with that. Mm-hmm. And so we got to figure a solution out. And this is what we've been doing. Uh, I know the mayor's been working on it. She came with a new plan today, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But where is the money being allocated to? We need to make sure it goes into the right hands of the right people to know what they need to do to make sure, sure we execute a plan that will make sure, like you said, the short term and the long term where everybody gets you know, uh, the right resources that can be, that they can make it safer. But one thing that I must say, man, that people need to be held accountable for their actions that they're doing this. That's why, man, people's out there, man, running wild because there ain't no accountability. We have time for one final mm. question. Okay. Yeah. Um, can you hear me? Uh, my name is uh, Vasquez I want to thank you all. It's a uh, it's an honor to hear what you do, and I'm really inspired. Um, so I have an agency called Next SF, and we create private-public partnerships to promote small business, the neighborhood corridors. So I'm a small business guy. Was wondering, uh, small business is, what are you all doing to foster the sense of entrepreneur, entrepreneurism and small business? Because that's so important for uh, young people, the community, the city. Um, just want to hear your thoughts. We'll have one of you answer, if that's okay, for, for time. Um, I can ahead, take so that call. So um, I'm the executive director for Calle 24 Latino Cultural District, and helping our small businesses is one of the things that we do generally. And through the pandemic, we've really been focusing not only on helping the small businesses bridge that um, technology divide that was, became ever more apparent during the pandemic and when our, our stores didn't know how to 
take online orders or how to survive in a world where people were not going out as much, but also getting the, the, the ones that, that had those like vendors, that, the ones that had their home businesses. And how do we, with the storefronts that are now open, how do we place you there? How do we get you to the point where we are helping you get your licenses? We're helping you get your LLCs. So that's what we do at Calle 24. We sit down, we, we create a plan with a person, and then we, we see them through. We're right now, we're looking at, um, as we all know, the vendors in the streets have gotten to be a, a large number. And that, that's necessity, right? People need to pay the rent people need to eat. So how do we get you to a point that that you're going to be able to continue to do that, but in a way that it still supports our community? So right now we're instituting a pilot program in which we're taking these vendors and we're giving them all of the knowledge, all of the information and helping them, and we're going to be paying for their permits in order for them to become more organized and not just be out there. So that's one of the things that we're doing in, um, to encourage inter entrepreneurship and help our small businesses in our community. That's so incredible. Well, I can't believe it, but that is the end of our program. I could sit here for another hour learning (laughs) from you all, but I think what's important is we all get engaged, we all get active, we go out there, and we do the best that we can to take care of one another. Let's give another one last final round of applause for our speakers. Rudy, Sasana, James, Jackie. And we give a hand to Miss Meow. Thank you to all of you who are joining us online. Thank you to the Commonwealth Club of California for the platform. And, of course, the Leo T. McCarthy Center for Public Service and the Common Good. Yes. All here together today. Um, well, we've got uh, some good times after this, so we have a, a, sh- a short reception out there with some goodies. Let's all get to know each other a little bit more. And just a reminder, keep your masks on unless you're actively eating, drinking, and all that good stuff. Thank you all for being here today. We'll see you next time. <laughs>